0: Blog Talk Radio. Blog Talk Radio. Are you a parent with a newly diagnosed child with autism? Are you looking for answers on how you can help your struggling child? The online training course, Discovering Behavioral Intervention, is the answer. Real parents take you through applied behavior analysis in 10 step-by-step modules. Learn more at uDiscovering.org and follow them on Twitter at uDiscovering. We are very proud to have Mayor Johnson as our sponsor. Mayor Johnson is the world's special education super source. The Mayor Johnson sale is on. They have incredible, drastic savings on hundreds of products, so go to mayorjohnson.com. That's mayor-johnson.com. Follow them on Twitter at Mayor Johnson and visit them today. Welcome to the Coffee Clatch Special Needs Talk Radio Network. We provide excellence in broadcasting for the special needs and child, adolescent, mental health communities. Thank you for joining us tonight, and now, on to the interview. Good evening. Welcome to the Coffee Clash. This is Marianne Ann Russo. I'm glad you're joining us tonight. I have an interview tonight that I've wanted to do for quite a while. We have, uh, for a long time, been talking about the importance of the relationship with your pediatrician when raising a child with special needs. And tonight, I am thrilled that we have Dr. Paul Dempsey, who will be joining us. He is from Quinte Pediatrics. Um, Dr. Dempsey is a consultant pediatrician and is the medical director of Quinte Pediatrics and Adolescent men- um, Medicine. Um, his media and speaking appearances have included OHA- OHAs, a social media media, Video series, which is fantastic, Invest Ottawa Health Innovations Panel, Queen's University's Pediatric Grand Rounds, and CBC Radio 1's Metro Morning. If you go over to their website, you are going to see what an amazing use of social media um, this, this pediatric practice has done. They have incredible videos and blogs and information for parents, but the reason I really wanted um, Dr. Dempsey to come on is because he has such a multi dimensional approach to helping parents deal with difficulties their children may have. So let me introduce Dr. Paul Dempsey. Thank you for joining me.
1: Good evening. Thanks for having me.
0: Uh, Well, you know, as I've said, I've wanted to do this interview for a very long time because I know that through raising my children that had health issues and um, other issues that, you know, it was just key. So why don't we just start off with you telling us a little bit about your practice um, and, you know, how it really is, it, it's, it's revolutionary, is really what it is. So tell um, the audience a little bit about it.
1: Well, thank you. We've evolved over over the last 10 years or so. We are in a community, our, our hospital in our catchment area serves about 150,000 people. And uh, what we've found over the course of our time working with both children with special needs and their families, as well as uh, children without special needs and and their families, is that most of them have questions and uh, are seeking information that um, we don't entirely cover in the office visit. And so with the emergence of social media we were able to start to use some of those tools of social media to put information from our practice uh, available online around the clock 24-7. And then it it kind of grew from there. The original goal was, was simply to um, and provide access to things that patients would hear about if they were in the office or if they phoned our office, um, but the office was closed. It's kind of grown from there. Mm-hmm. Uh, so you know, the, the tools of social media are great because that's where parents are. But it didn't start off with social media. It started off with you know with just regular patients and parents coming through the doors and having questions and, and healthcare needs that that we. You know, started off our focus started off with the patient, and it kind of grew beyond that.
0: And, you know, it's great because a lot of times parents, you know, from 9 to 5, um, they're so busy, and a lot of their questions that start, you know, rummaging through their heads is late at night or early in the morning. And like you said, you know, it, it's, it really is a very informative site. Um,
1: exactly. Nothing quite like 2 a.m. to bring some focus to the, what the question really is in your mind.
0: Exactly. You and know, when I... when. With my first daughter, I guess it was twenty seven years ago. He used to have crazy questions <clears throat> an hour from seven in okay. the morning until eight, and yeah. you can call with the silliest thing, the silliest concern and he would just answer you know all the parents' questions and it was just so comforting. I loved it um I don't know if doctors still do that, but that was great back then.
1: Well, the um, interesting thing is that now you know those questions still come up at all at all hours of the of the clock, and so hopefully this gives. A bit, of, a bit more access for those questions to be asked and answered Mark, away from the you, nine to five hours.
0: You know, but picking a pediatrician, choosing your pediatrician can be overwhelming. And then once you have chosen the pediatrician, um, you know what? What advice do you have to make the the visits better for the child, for the parent, and for the pediatrician?
1: Yeah so starting with the relationship already chosen where the patient has already chosen the physician or the physician has already agreed to to take on the patient it happens you know differently in different communities i i think that the one of the key things to remember is that it's a relationship and so it's a growing evolving process whereby the, you know the patient and parent gets to know the doctor the doctor gets to know the patient and parent And things often become, like any relationship, smoother and more comfortable the longer you you know each other and the longer the doctor gets to know the kind of things that concern you and the longer the patient gets to know the kind of things and how the doctor will, will respond and handle things. So in our office, with our children with special needs, for example, all of them, we quite upfront create what's called a problem list, which is not news to anybody. But just by putting it out there formally, uh, in in a formal fashion, we deal with the problem list at every visit, um, regardless of what the purpose of the visit is for. And that problem list can include you know, cerebral palsy, seizures, failure to thrive, uh, developmental delay, all the variety of things on that. So we have the the problem list dealing uh, is one part of our appointment. The second part is the medication list, and we make sure that all of our patients have all of the information that we have on their medications and encourage them to to carry that list back and forth, because we find that that's not a, although it seems like it might be a natural thing to do, it kind of isn't a natural thing to do. And a lot of patients arrive in the emergency room, for example, without that list of of, uh, medications and without a clear awareness of the dose, because there's so Absolutely. much going on, and there's so much to remember, and you know, and you're so, in such a panic
0: a, when you're in the ER. You it, know, it, even precisely. if you think you're going to remember, you don't. I have it on my uh, iPhone. Um, you know, exactly. all that yep. information.
1: Yep. Yeah. yeah, and so it, in, in the emergency room, that's an obvious re- time to have that um, readily available, but in the office as well. So having that information readily available just smooths out some of the the basics that take up a fair amount of time of the appointment if you don't have it pre-prepared.
0: Right. And you know, I think it's important for parents to understand that um you know, I've had a child who had no um health issues and it was just a you know, a relationship with your pediatrician, you know, if she had a cold, if she had an ear infection, we went in. But when you have a child with special needs, your pediatrician really becomes your most trusted advisor. Um it it's it's your hub and it's important for parents to make sure that all specialist that you see, all ever all records are sent to you, to the pediatrician, so that there's one person that um, has everything in one place. But mm-hmm. I would imagine that for you, um, having to approach a parent that might, let's just say it's a first-time parent that isn't aware of the fact that their child may be facing some challenges, um, or vice versa, maybe, you know, there's a parent that's very anxious. So how do you approach a parent um, when, when you feel something is amiss?
1: Yeah, so when a patient and a parent come to us, you know, oftentimes a parent will have an idea that something's wrong but not quite know what it is. And so we often teach our, our med students and residents that, you know, one of the first rules of pediatrics is that the parent isn't always right, but they're never wrong. Right. Meaning okay, that if the parent comes in and says, <laughs> my child has, you know, such and such symptoms, I think this is what they have. Well, probably they're right on in their instincts that there's something wrong. It may not be quite the diagnosis they're anticipating, but so we put a lot of weight on, on parental uh, radar. You know, when a parent says to me, I just don't quite know what's wrong, but there's something here, we'll spend a bit of time on that and take that fairly seriously. So that patient and that parent is really looking for direct answers and and we will give them to the fullest extent that we can without stepping beyond the bounds of of the diagnosis that we're able to make we'll give them the full diagnosis that we have and if there's still some areas of, of grayness or areas that are pending further investigation typically we'll tell the parents generally what those areas are with the reassurance that once we have further information, You know, we'll make sure that they have all the information that we have with some context to put it in the other parent will come in and a lot of times those are parents that have been sent in because a family member has a concern or their referring physician has a concern, but the parents don't necessarily see it and in those circumstances we just go through in a thorough fashion and say, look, let's let's just kind of go from head to toe and development A to development B and, and, and see what we come up with And then we'll sit down and talk about what we found and and what it might mean, and go from there. Yeah, in that situation, yeah, just giving the the fullest of information.
0: Because really, I mean, parents are so frightened um, at first, especially if it's something really, um, you know, that they know they have a very long road ahead of them. Say, autism, cerebral palsy, um, you know, all all of these um, disorders. Um, So I would imagine that you refer to specialists, um, at some point. Yes. Oh yeah. So, you know, one of the biggest problems that parents um of children with special needs have is coordinating um information. Because, you know, let's just say you have a neurologist and you have a psychiatrist or you have uh, an orthopedic, whatever the case may be, you know, oftentimes they really don't talk to each other. And a parent, it winds up, you know, being the general contractor of information they're really not equipped to deal with. So Mm -hmm. how do you advise or help parents with something like that?
1: Well, just the way you've you've stated it almost, I mean, we tell the parent that that they should look to us to be the quarterback of the team or, or, you know, the center of the umbrella under which everything falls, and and so we actively gather all of that information, and typically after an appointment with a subspecialist, we'll bring that family back into our office and go over the report with them so that they understand the context and what it means and, and what to do with that information and then we make sure that they walk out with that piece of information in their binder as well so That's so they've come. yeah they come from the subspecialist we've interpreted it for them, for them and then, and then they walk out with that so it's in their binder if they happen to need it for other references for other purposes like when they're at the orthopedic you know appointment and there's uh you know it's helpful to reference the neurology appointment they've got that information with them
0: Right, because you know it is very overwhelming. I mean, sometimes you hear it, it's explained to you, you think you've got it, and then you go home and you're like, "Do I really have a grasp on what I was just told?" So, I mean, what you're doing is just fantastic. It's what all pediatricians um, should almost be doing. And
1: almost always, parents have more questions. right? even the best even the best you know, physicians or the best you know, of any area of, of professional practice, you can explain it as best you can, but there's still going to be questions and follow-up, and so every parent has those questions.
0: And with, you know, the Internet, let's face it, when it's your child, you're getting on Google. um, And you're going to try to unravel what you've been told. And sometimes it just adds more confusion, uh, gives you more confusion than answers. So, you know, it's a great thing. Um, But, you know, oftentimes, especially children with mental illness, you know, when dealing with psychiatrists um, or a child with autism, there is a lot of doctor hopping among specialists because you know sometimes it's just not the right fit sometimes you just can't agree on an approach um and it's so stressful it's stressful it's stressful trying to um sever that relationship and trying to preserve information so you know how can parents avoid that or should mm-hmm. they avoid that
1: well, I, mean, I think the thing to remember is that none of us is is the complete package, you know, or, or very rarely is someone the complete package. And so, with the greatest of respect to my colleagues, we have a conversation with parents from time to time about, you know, uh, going off to a subspecialist and and it will sound to the effect of, you know, the reason you're going to this subspecialist is because of their skill in the following area. And so, what we would like to get out of this appointment is is that expertise So you, you may not find you know, that they're as warm and friendly or that they have as much time to sit and and talk as you would want to, et cetera, keep in mind during that appointment that this is what we're looking for. And once we have that information, we'll get you back here and we'll we'll sort out what it means. So, uh, you know, in a subspecialty appointment or in a a neurology appointment or a a cardiology appointment or an orthopedic appointment, parents often will have questions that that are very valid and deserve good answers, but they're speaking to someone who has a schedule that and, and an agenda that is much more focused.
0: Right, so, especially those that take insurance. I was told by a fantastic um, neurologist. Um I was seeing a neurologist and um, spending an absolute fortune um because she didn't take insurance. And um, I went to see another um neurologist who was equally qualified and fantastic and she said to me honestly if you can afford it, if you can find a way to afford her, it's not that she's better than me. It's the fact that I have 15 minutes to spend with you. Exactly. And yeah. I cannot possibly give your child, who is so complicated and so com- complex, the attention that she needs. So, you know, having somebody that can give you more than 10 or 15 minutes is huge.
1: Yes. And if you can't afford it, which is a reality for many, many, many... Right? many Having, you know, that's again where the role, in, in our view at Clinic Pediatrics, that's where the role of the pediatrician comes in. It's the person who can sit down and interpret and put some broader context into it.
0: All right. How do you feel about pediatricians um, diagnosing and prescribing for mental illness?
1: Um, it, it, it's an interesting area, and I understand it's a, a, a topic that you know that will have a variety of opinions. Our approach is that is that we don't have a, a training in that area, and we don't have expertise in that area. So we do rely on our psychiatrists to provide that type of of background and, and expertise. As well, there are a few pediatricians in our region who have specialty interest in that area as well. So. Uh, right. you know, my my approach would be that the that if you have expertise in that area, you should by all means diagnose and prescribe. And if you don't, you probably shouldn't dabble in it.
0: Right. Yeah. I think that you know that's a, that's a very big problem um, here. Um, is that you know, especially in rural areas where there may not be you know, and they may not have a child psychiatrist for you know, 30 miles. You know, whatever the case it, may be. Exactly. Oh, yeah. um, you know that pediatricians are, you know, mean well, but you know you can do a lot of harm prescribing um, the wrong medication. So you know, I like your approach.
1: Well, and I think the important thing to remember is that you can have pediatricians who have developed expertise in that area. So it really is doctor dependent. You know, in of the specific doctor in that area, there could be a rural doctor who has significant expertise because of continuing medical education, for example, and then there could be an mm-hmm. urban doctor who doesn't have the expertise. So. At the time,
0: absolutely. Absolutely. I wanted to move on to sports medicine because this is just you know this this has nothing to do with special needs this is every parent um you know who has their child involved in sports um so i wanted to talk about you know you stress the importance of damage that can be caused if a child or a teen's body is overstressed and um i really want you to take your time and discuss this with parents because i want to make sure the parents are really understanding what some of these really especially these uh, contact sports the damage they can be doing
1: Mhm. So the importance of, of 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 fitness starts before you get on the field. Right? And so it starts with your your preseason conditioning or your pregame conditioning. And I think the important thing to remember is that children and teenagers certainly can exercise, you know, and they can do some uh, strength training within some, uh, some constraints. And, and the constraints are primarily to remember that you're talking about bones and ligaments and joints that are still growing and developing. And so when you put a strain on a, a bone joint or ligament of a 35-year-old weekend warrior, you know, you are not damaging the future growth of that bone joint or ligament. You're you're causing some some pain and discomfort that will, you know, run for a short ish period of time and if you've done too much damage then you'll you'll go see an orthopedic surgeon and get things fixed up, for example. But in the child and in the teenager, what you're dealing with is the potential for future damage. And so that's why there's the, the need to be cautious. Having said that, there's not a need to be over-cautious, right? It's okay for kids and teens to get out there and to actively train and, and participate. And, and uh, certainly the, the teenage years are the years when many athletes emerge. And, and, you know, as you get into your your mid to late 20s in professional athletics, you're over the hill in a lot of situations. And, and so the, the young teenage athlete is... Uh, uh is a safe athlete isn't that you know there's no reason to discourage um to discourage athleticism and 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 participation in sports that's where the training techniques and the attention to body pain really becomes crucial and right. that depends a little bit on the circumstances of the team some teams have better trainers some teams don't the better trainers are going to be more up to date on techniques of training and how far to push things before you go too far. I think for the parent, my my suggestion for the parent would be that if you you know where's your safety net and how far is too far. Too far is any exactly. type of pain or discomfort. Yeah, pain or discomfort that lasts longer than 24 hours
0: uh-huh. is something
1: that suggests that maybe you've gone too far and you yeah, should
0: yeah, probably. A very prominent sports medicine physician, Dr. Pietro Tonini, um, he's at Loyola. He ha- actually um, published an article this morning. I don't know if you read it. Um, you know, And he's advising parents not to let their kids play football, which I thought was like really um, mm-hmm. you know, very definitive. But I want to read to you what he wrote. He said that when you have two human beings collide at a high rate of speed, especially if one of them is bigger than the other, then significant injuries are quite possible. I don't believe it's worth the risk. Um, of long-term consequences or injuries sustained at young ages. So, you know, here, you know, that's like really, um, it's very definitive for parents, which I think is a little overboard, but I think that, you know, with all of the concussions and so many of the athletes coming out now and talking about um, brain injuries and the injuries to their bodies, the parents are getting afraid.
1: Well, you know, the the, the interesting thing about, about his statement, and there's great accuracy in that, what he's, I think, referring to without having read the article is the type of sports uh, impact where there's a sudden change. Yes. You know, so if you have a high-impact injury, there's a change that happens in the blink of an eye that can't be undone. And that's a whole lot different than, um, you know, other areas of athleticism where there's some training involved and where there's not a high-impact risk. So track and field has, it doesn't have the same high impact uh, risk it does in some areas, but you know in general, broad strokes doesn't have the same high impact risk as uh, a football tackle would, so we don't discourage um athlete you know, any specific sport but right, at the right. same time, I think parents do need to know there's a difference between the type of injury that happens in a sudden high impact situation versus the type of injury that can happen from training and overuse and and chronic uh, participation in in an ongoing sport.
0: Right. And, you know, one of the things that's really concerning is that, you know, oftentimes um, in contact sports, these kids get concussions. And, um, you know, they're really just dismissed, and some kids wear it as a badge of honor. And it's really serious. I mean, my daughter um, wasn't a sports injury, but she had a concussion and it changed her whole life. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, change her whole quality of life. It's five years later, so um, you know how do you advise parents, I and mean, how do you decide when a child is ready to go back to playing a sport?
1: Mm-hmm. Yeah. So the most important part I think about about your question there is how do you decide when there has been potentially a head injury? Um, because that's really where the whole process kicks off. When you've, when you've raised, you know, when the suspicion of a head injury, uh, when you sense that, when you've determined that there is a, a risk for a head injury, everything after that, I think, is, uh, you know, it, it, the risk is much lower of a long-term impact as long as you've made the initial diagnosis promptly. So the there's emerging guidelines and there's a variety of sources to this, and I, I think at this stage of of concussion and of head injury um, management, probably this is an important conversation for parents to have with the the experts in their area, with their coaches, with their trainers, and with their doctors, because different regions are still evolving and using different uh, standards. But I think where we're headed is towards a consensus, and there are emerging consensus statements, but towards a consensus that this is the moment where you need to be evaluated for a head injury. After that, back to, you know, return-to-play advice is, is uh, I think there's probably a little more consensus around the return-to-play advice than there is around the diagnosis of the initial injury.
0: Right. Well, you know, parents have to use common sense, and I think that, you know, the schools are um, really being much more cautious um, than they used to be. Um, yeah, I'd I, like to end can... off. Go ahead.
1: Yeah. No, I was going to say even just just prevention of a good uh, of a good helmet. You know, we we True. have high schools in our region where the helmets are more than ten years old, and that's just almost unacceptable in this day and age. And so our schools are starting to update their helmets, but but when you're talking about head injuries, there's no substitute for good solid uh, protective safety equipment.
0: Right, and letting your kid go ride their bike as well.
1: Absolutely. Yeah.
0: Yeah, you know, it's 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 non-negotiable in my book. Um, you know, I'd like to end off the interview by asking you, um, you know, what key information do you have for parents? That what should parents know about um their special needs child's health?
1: Um, yeah, do you mean in terms of what to follow or what to what to monitor for their health? Is that where you're
0: well, what I'm saying sure. is, you know, what advice would you give a parent when they're starting out on this journey, um, you know, as uh, far as, um, you know, trusting their gut or, you know, trusting yeah. um, what they're being told?
1: Yeah. Yeah, so I, I think there's two two parts to the answer to that question. I'll give you the second part first because it's the easier part. Once a diagnosis has been made, there are now multiple guidelines for for a specific follow-up of specific diagnoses. The American Academy of Pediatrics, for example, has a health supervision guideline for children with Down syndrome that provides guidelines for parent and physician right from the prenatal visit up until the 21st birthday. And so we will often, as an example, give that out in our office to our parents of children with Down syndrome because it's so nice and clearly lays out for them. Um, you know, it, it doesn't take away the need to look individually at your child as, as we go through the life. A span of zero to twenty-one, but but it does give the general guidelines of the specific diagnostic specific things to follow. So that's the easy part. The other part is, I think what you're getting is when a parent kind of senses something is wrong, and they're pursuing a diagnosis, and either they just haven't found the right doctor, or they've they visit a couple of doctors and feel like they just haven't gotten to the heart of what the of what the of what the problem is. Is that exactly. one of the questions that yeah. Yes. And in that situation, I I think there are are sort of three things that are helpful. The Internet is helpful if you go to the right source. Now, we often, and I told you back at the beginning, that we'll go through every patient's problem list and list of medications, but we also talk to them about Dr. Google. You know, what has Dr. Google told you since you were here last? Let's put that Uh on the table and,
0: and make sure
1: that we... You know, either agree with it or or disempower what you've mm-hmm. read because it's misinformation.
0: It so is a double-edged the wrong- sword. The internet. Yeah. There is no doubt about it.
1: Exactly, the wrong sources on the internet are a cause of great anxiety, and and uh, the right sources on the internet, of which there are an increasing number, are mm-hmm. are gold. And so Absolutely. we've tried to provide some of that guideline through our through our social media work and through our website. Um, so. So back to your question about, you know, when a parent thinks there's something wrong, first of all, the right sources on the Internet will give you some background to help you direct your questions to the doctor so that you can more specifically identify what your concern is. And in in that sense, probably communicate a little more clearly to the doc what what it is that you're getting at as opposed to – you know what you're really trying to do is get the doctor's attention in the in the 15 or 20 minute visit that you have or sometimes it's 5 minutes sometimes it's half an hour but you right. really want to use that time most efficiently so the right sources on the internet will help you with that the right social <laughs> sources will help you as well other parents can can give you some of those uh, questions to ask and some we've seen a lot of that in our you know amongst some patients in our practice talking amongst each other and and uh, you know, patients who are a little further ahead in the journey have been able to help patients who are a little uh, further behind, not not quite there yet. That's a process that's been going on for generations.
0: It just absolutely. A little, a
1: little that's one of the things we here.
0: say on the show: is to know the road ahead. Ask those coming back. Um, and you that's why you're forward. so exactly.
1: Yeah, that's the that's yeah. that's one of the great values of a show like yours. It's just that parents have a chance to hear parents who have gone before them.
0: Right. You and, know, really, then, because the parents are going to give you support and they're going to give you hope, and, you know, having the right doctor is going to give you the answers. So, um, you know, you right. need both. Yeah, And, the parents are going and to speaking give you of, of uh, great sources, um, I want to give out your website because this is a great resource for parents you can go on day and night um you can you know they write about all types of issues they have a section for special needs kids special care sports and healthy living and also regular medical consultations so i really encourage you to go it's quinte pediatrics q-u-i-n-t-e pediatrics.com and um you know i want to thank you for joining us
1: thank you so much
0: yeah, this was, you know, a really great interview and um you know, I go through the blog when you go over to the website, just go through the blog, watch their videos. Um uh, it's, it's it's really a great place to be. So again, I want to thank you for joining us. And um is there anything else you'd like to end off on, Dr. Dempsey?
1: No, I appreciate the opportunity to talk to your audience and and the work you're doing is just superb. So, thank you for well, Thank
0: you. And also, you're very very approachable on Twitter. I don't know about Facebook. I don't really go on Facebook, but um you, your your Twitter feed is just fantastic, and you're very approachable, so I encourage parents to follow you there, too. Is that Quinty? What is the Let me pull that up. Yes, yeah, at so Quinty Pediatric. Pediatric. So pediatric. Uh, on, on Twitter, it, yeah, on Twitter there's, there's no S on the pediatrics. It's just pediatric. Okay. Well, again, thank you for joining us. We really appreciate your information. Thank you very much. Thank you. Um, as I, I want to let everyone know that uh, we are about to do our Best of series, which we are going to be bringing you the top five interviews um, that we have for the first half of this year, and they are unbelievable. We are also going to be featuring three more um, episodes of The Maverick Mind with Dr. Cherie Florence and Angie Eaton. Um, they have just been mind-boggling how popular they are. We're ta- they talk about um, children who may be misdiagnosed with autism, learning disabilities, developmental delays, who are really just extremely highly visual thinkers, and it is just a, a series that that is second to none. So we will be also featuring that over the next three weeks. Thank you for joining us, and as we end each show, you are your child's best advocate. If not you, then who? Become an informed, educated parent here at The Coffee Clatch. You can find us at www.thecoffeeclatch.com. Thank you for joining us.